uh, they you know say we are not affiliated with any 12-step program this right. is just you know we're we're doing this on our own behalf there's no proceeds that we're not taking any money from this like okay. there's a little spiel um just so that everybody knows you know we're only sharing our experience strength and hope So I I had a Christmas tree that wouldn't die. I I brought it home and I I was my it's my very first Christmas tree. I decided to buy it this year and I put water in the thing and I never had to fill it up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Was and it an thing, artificial Christmas tree? No, it was a real Christmas tree. <laughs> okay. I, think. I thought maybe you were confused and you got the vinyl. <laughs> He's like, one it's still alive. And kept watering no. it. It's no, perfect. it's the it's the one that I bought it. I bought it at Home Depot. I saw him cut the bottom off. They cut an X in it. And, and brought it home, gave it water, and like a month and a half, two months later, there's was... mold growing in the water. <laughs> the water hasn't moved. The bristles are still not coming off the tree. And I started getting nervous. Like I was going to have a bunch of like South American people coming up to the tree, <laughs> like praying to it, you know, like Jesus is a tree that won't die, you know. People are bringing like crippled people to it and throwing what? out their wheelchairs. Why and do the they tree have to make be it South walk. American? Because they're always into like oh, okay. seeing they, Jesus they see, and stuff. That's correct. You know? okay. They see Mary and everything. They're like, oh, Mary and like terrible Latin American accent, by the way. There's not too many of them out there, right? I'm not offending a big group of people. We don't know. You could be. Yeah. I'm Can half you Peruvian. Thank you. There you go. My, see? My lawn just never gets cut ever <laughs> That's again. Correct. It's just like there's always a cut like around my yard. <laughs> you threw out the tree. No, I was just laughing because it's like having like, you know, this is me, Pete from the sky at Channel 7 News. There is a line of cars outside of Coconut Creek and Centura Parkway. And... So I Christmas threw it out, tree. and I felt bad about throwing you it out. Threw it out. I threw it out. And Why don't you sell it to somebody? It's a new tree that'll never die. <laughs> I threw it out. Get it to Frank. Dumpster. Frank will think it's a car. You know what? I mean, he'll, he'll flip there's it. Probably. A, there's probably like the most wise homeless guy sitting there in front of the tree, and a bunch of homeless people around it, and he's like spouting Buddhism. That probably is. <laughs> Take it to the 441. One man's trash is, is another, another man's, man's treasure. treasure. Yes. Oh, deep. So what made you think of the tree? You just threw it out recently? No, I threw it out about a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> I got the I it's, got the tree stand sitting outside. It's a reserve thought. Okay, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. It's a resentment. He had it on Home Depot, so okay. he just had to get that. This is like stuff. priming the pump, Abiel. <laughs> I'm putting water in the pump and then I'm priming it. I start with a funny story, then we just go right into recovery. I'll that sounds good. It is. <laughs> What's the metaphor? <laughs> Um, so somebody said something interesting because we were talking about higher powers and stuff at the meeting today. And guidance, someone, right? That was guidance, the topic. Yeah. Which, by the way, there's so many. I call them Easter eggs. There's so <laughs> many typos on the walls in that place. I I just love it. Like it says chairperson Gwidlines. Sorry, go get what the chair. <laughs> whose pen dropped over my punchline? <laughs> oh my Hold glasses! On, oh, those are your glasses. Thank you. All right, so somebody said something really interesting, and I've heard it a million times, and it's and he was like, what am I doing to myself? And I'm like, that's such a profound statement because there's no God in it. There's no higher power in that statement. What am I doing to myself? What just, makes it not have any higher power in it? Because there's no, it's all just I. It's not what is something how, how doing. Do, how do you know that? Because he said, what am I doing to myself? The way I'm interpreting it, let's put it this way. The way Alex is interpreting it, and whenever I'm in like a rough spot, like he was talking about coming back after going out, and it's like, what am I doing to myself? You, 
I'm doing everything to myself. So maybe I should take go somewhere else where there's a power greater than myself that can do things for me. Maybe there That's already is, it. and it has me doing things for myself. Maybe. I'm not telling you I'm right. I'm only telling you my journey in my spiritual condition doesn't require me to use certain words. It requires me to accept Mm-hmm. That whatever I'm doing is driven by a power greater than me. Right, and I I love when you shared that the other uh, two podcasts ago. I've held on to that, you know, like. Okay, so. I just thought it was interesting what he was saying. Is. What I got out of it, I was like, wow. Oh. I was like, what am I doing to myself? It's a good question, though. It's like when you ask yourself, like, you know, well, there's a there's almost like two parts of me. Like, what am I doing? Why would I even ask that? I'm just me. So why would I ask what am I doing? But. It, you know? But that's the question of insanity in the second step. What am I doing? I mean, whether it's how I eat, whether it's what, how many meetings I go to, how I treat myself, how I treat people, my self-care. Do I go to the doctor? Do I exercise? I mean, am I kind? Am I generous? Am I complimentary? Or am I offensive, critical? What am I doing? It's a, it's a heck of a question. It's an inv- It's a 10-step inventory question. On a daily basis, what did I do? What what am I doing? What did I do today? How come I did that? Why I mean, am I still doing that? And the answer is yes, I'm still doing that. So if I'm still doing it, I'm still doing it. End of conversation. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not being argumentative when I say this to you, but it's I think it's a great. What am I doing to myself? It's a heck of a question. How many times did I ask myself while I was drinking and drugging over those years? And I'd have a moment of clarity, and I go, What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, what? come on, what is wrong with you? And that wasn't a question that I could really answer nor chose to answer, so I'd go get high or drunk again. Because um, that was the solution to anything I didn't want to do. Yeah. So or we'd have the uh, the 24-hour, you know, the 12-hour the, the reprieve of, what am I doing to myself? I'm going to stop. You wake up hungover, you know, dense on your car, not yeah. remembering how you got, how you got there. Yeah. What am I doing to myself? I got to stop. And then eight hours later, you're back, right at, back. back, back at the bar again. And that's my point. It's like, yeah. what am I doing to myself? I'm destroying it because I'm in control. That's what I got out of what he was saying. You know, it's like, I'm in control of that. That's why it's not working. I, didn't, I couldn't get sober until I went to a place that offers a program for recovery, until I went to a place where there were other people that were sober saying, hey, this is how we did it. I want to make a suggestion. Is that a person who goes to the 7 a.m. regularly? Uh, I don't I don't see him there regularly, but... If you see him again, today. ask him. Yeah. Ask him what he meant. Go up to him and say, last week or the, a couple of weeks ago, you made a statement that what am I doing to myself? Is there more that you can share with me about that statement? Rather than me believing that what I'm taking out of it is what you intended for it to mean. Oh, I uh, yeah, I could ask him. I don't even I'm not even saying that like what what he meant by it. I'm just saying what I got out of okay. like, that phrase, what am I doing to myself? It's like to me I it's just uh, It's a good question. You know. Yeah. It's a powerful question. There's a it's book a- called The Untethered Soul where they talk about that where you'll sit there and you'll 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 tell yourself like, you know, why don't you know why why are you so this why are you so that like the inner voice talking to myself right and it's almost like having somebody sitting next to you on the couch and and you know who is that who is that part of my my brain that's telling me you know I'm not good enough I'm not fast enough why am I doing this you should be doing that you know like that other voice that's always kind of nagging that alcohol seemed to kind of sub subdue you know so is there something going on in your life where you ask yourself that question why am I doing this to myself. Uh, no, I well, I ask why am I getting so wound up at work, you know, and I haven't been doing that lately. 
you know? Working or getting wound up? Getting wound up. Because oh, sometimes know? I wonder if you ever go no, to work. I don't, I don't work. I, <laughs> I got a problem. We did on. the math. He gets 58 <laughs> days off a year. <laughs> Seems like he's taking 58 I days a, a month. I take a lot. Yeah, it's like I take a long time off. But No, I mean, like... Because my, my, the reason I'm asking you that is not, not to put you on the spot, but it's something I ask myself a lot. Yeah. When I keep doing behaviors that I know... I would probably be better off not doing, but I keep doing them. And I sometimes, I, I have to wonder, and I, and I really do reflect, or I'll call somebody and I'll talk about, you know, I seem to be doing this an awful lot. What, you know, what, what else is going on that I don't want to deal with? Because yeah. it's usually something I don't want to deal with. Whether it's about me, whether it's about you, whether it's about Alice, whether it's about whoever it is, whether it's about work, it's just something I don't want to confront. I, I mean, it, it's, and Aviel and I were talking. Um, I had a health issue that required me to see a physician, and it required me to bring a report from an event that occurred in New York last summer when I fainted, and they thought I may have had a stroke. Okay. And I didn't, but I was in the emergency room for a long time, and, and they took a lot of tests, and the tests had possible things that are going on. And I chose to come back to Florida and put the report on the shelf, and outside of talking to my doctor who had just retired, and he said, well, as long as it's not this, everything's okay. I just ignored the report and put it on the shelf. And now the report needed to come out. And it had all sorts of possibilities, so I'll be taking more tests yeah. okay, to find out what's going on. But why do I do that? I don't want to know what's going on. You know, If I got yeah. some real sickness, let me die and just be done with it. You don't understand how apropos that is to me right now. Like, like again, that's not what's going on in my life. Like, I think what's Tell happening. What's with, really happening, Alex? I think what's really happening. There's a lump on my leg, and I went and got it checked out. They said, you know, it doesn't need to be biop biopsied or biopsied. whatever. Right. Like the way they were saying potential. You know, we'll check it in like three months, and that was like two and a half years ago. And is the lump still there? <laughs> yeah, it's still there. So, I mean, it is what it is, right? So. Yeah. Well, no, it is. You need to get that shit checked out. <laughs> I don't I want your leg. Your Pull your microphone just a little bit back. Hmm. Yeah, I was wrong. Is that Thank better? You. That's better. Okay. So much better. So much better. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I have to get that checked out. But that's not what we're talking about, because that makes me feel weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God forbid. But you know, it's... It, it's we, we know what's going on with you right now. <laughs> it's, it's No, what's going on with me... Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but that could be something underlying, right? Well, Maybe but it just... is. It's, oh, it is. Recovery is Cause so... Because you just, you just brought up I, I had gastritis last summer, and I for the first time, I'm getting an endoscopy, colonoscopy. Yeah, hello. And I haven't followed up on it. That's correct. So yeah. I think th all three of us need to, <laughs> you t starting the initiative, I need to call my uh Yeah, I need to get in there and, and get get a follow-up. Yeah, I think that's absolutely that's something that's going on in the back of my head. That's like the, the part of my uh, fourth step that I never told anybody on my fifth step, and then finally, like years later, I went to the priest. This is the same kind of feeling. Where it's like, um, it's constantly there. Why aren't I just doing something about it? And you'll feel so good. And I know I will when I pick up the phone on Monday morning and just make the appointment, right? That's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then there's the going to the appointment. And That's right. Now, I'll give you an example of how my thinking goes. I have to see an ear, nose, and throat person <clears throat> Excuse me, um, for a test to whatever they needed to do, see what my dizziness was being caused by. And, and they said, they will send you an email with all the information about the test. So I made the appointment last Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, no email. Friday at 4.30 in the afternoon, I get an email from the person who's administering the test. I'm reading through it, and it says, if you're taking these certain medicines, call the office. 
I say, okay, I'll call the office. Well, at 4.30 on a Friday, guess what? The office is closed. Yep. So now my first thought was, I'll cancel the appointment. I'll show them. I just won't show up, but I'll wait until Monday at noon when their office is closed, and I'll just leave a message. And then I said, are you out of your mind? You'll go to the appointment. You'll say something that's appropriate, not critical and judgmental. You'll fill out the paperwork, and you'll be compliant. And then I said, no, I don't want to be compliant. I want to be defiant. Okay? And, and that's why am I still like that? Because I'm still like that. It's the reason I keep going to meetings, the reason I keep coming back, it's the reason I do all the things I do. I'm better today than I was 32 years ago, but I still have But issues. I'm still doing it to myself. Like, That's it just correct. clicked in my head. Like, why, am I, why do I do this to myself? Why do it's you like, question it? You know? No, I... I I mean, that's what I, I no longer question it. I just accept the fact that I'm doing it, and if I'm going to change it, I change it. If I'm not, I just leave it alone. There's no why, there's no answer to the why question. No, but Abiel's absolutely right, because making the appointment, going to the appointment, getting it done. Yeah, is an adult you know, thing to do. You know what, that's a normal, yeah, that's a normal person thing to do. It's an adult thing to do. It's a response. If your kids had something wrong, you'd have them at the doctor in three minutes. Yeah. If Sonia had something wrong, I mean, you know, or, or, or Natalie, you'd have her at the doctor in three minutes. That's what Alice was so upset about. She said, if the shoe was on my foot and it was my report, she said, you'd be screaming at me. Yeah. And she was right. But, but is it an adult thing or, I mean, or just men in general, right? Because we, oh, we men tend in to general. just... Absolutely. We put things off and whether that's the disease or just being a man and being thinking man. larger than life. Technically, if it's a man thing, it's really an adult. Is it, is, isn't that kind of the same question? Like, isn't it an adult thing or a man thing? But now you're presupposing like... that a man is, that, <laughs> like, that a yeah, exactly. is an adult. Now you're saying I'm an adult. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's scary. Uh, I'm a 14-year-old I'm a kid <laughs> in a 42-year-old body, Abiel. Well, what did we say last week? That the, but one of the nicest things about this is that we could all be three years old with each other and really yeah, enjoy exactly. it. I don't have to be 72, okay? I mean, I can really be 12 and, it's, and have real fun with this conversation. Fine. Okay, it is. But you're absolutely okay, but right. It is. It's, it's a gender thing. Women yeah. are far more attentive to these details. They're far more responsible about taking care of them. Men are not. Well, men that's probably it. why when it comes to you know addiction, you see a much higher percentage of men in the rooms than you do women. And you see a much higher percentage of men struggling to get sober and stay sober where women will get sober and stay sober for a long period of time. Not that they don't relapse. They do, but yeah. they relapse with a lower incidence and they come back sooner yeah. uh, on a general rule. Not a, not a great you know, statistical range, but on a gen as a general rule. I don't know. It also be because maybe, I don't know, From and again, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak of that, but thinking back in like the 50s with the mommy's little helper pills and all that stuff where it's like women in addiction, it's more secretive. It's it's harder for them to get to some place. Could like be. I don't know. A recovery um, program. I, you know, we should have a female guest on to talk about that's that. That's a good next idea. Subject. Next subject. Next week's topic. <laughs> no, but, but it's interesting that you would go to, is it the secrets? What I went to with Mommy's Helper was being responsible. That women were trained in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. They were socialized to believe that they needed to take care of things. And they were mommy's helper, so if mommy couldn't do it, the, the daughter did it, okay? If the baby needed changing, the daughter did it. They were a surrogate parent in the mommy's absence if mommy was working. Or maybe because, the, like, thinking about Bill Wilson, right? Like, Bill Wilson was drunk, so Lois had to go Lois, out and get the job. That's correct. She had to handle the bills. And he even talks about that in the big book. And she had to take care of him. 
Right, and talks about like okay. as, when a man sobers up and there's that relationship trouble where it's like mom's been paying the bills and doing everything, so who do you think you are to come back in and take the over responsibility uh, absolutely. back? You know? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's, mm. it's interesting to take a look at how we're trained and guys are trained to be taken care of. But men, generally, I agree, don't go to the doctor, you know? Don't see therapists. Don't talk to people. Don't share. Don't I can do it myself. That's correct. I mean, when I was growing up, and I remember, and we, we had problems, right? My brother went to jail, out of jail. My sister was out of the house at a young age, and it was always the church. The church was supposed to fix everything. And it's correct. And it didn't. Turn it I mean, to it, God. It, yeah. Give it to God. You know, and going to a therapist when I was 12, that means I, I'm like, I have mental issues, right? I'm psycho. And it's great that, like, my daughter, my, my wife and I, we, we had some issues with my daughter turning 16 a couple months ago and wanting to date. And now just, you know, let's call it, re we called it rebelling at the time. And it's not. It's just her becoming a, a young adult. Um, and she, we sat down, the three of us, and she said I don't, there was a topic that she wanted to share, but she didn't feel comfortable sharing with us. And no matter how much my wife and I tried prying that information out of her. I mean, I was literally sharing stuff about me when I was young that I had never shared with her before. My wife was sharing. I mean, it was like a <laughs> complete, all right. You know, we laid out every card possible, and that was not working. All you're doing is frightening her. She's like, I just want to do my <laughs> yeah, shoes. Just, I didn't know what to ask you. So ultimately, we said, fine. If you can't, you know, share it with us, you feel comfortable, would you be comfortable going to see a therapist? And she said, okay. And, you know, this week, Thursday was her fifth or sixth appointment and she told natalie yesterday oh i finally was able to share what i wanted to share with you and i said what was it she's like she didn't tell me but the fact that she was able to share with a therapist and get that off her chest you know and it's that wonderful. we took her to an appointment and i sought out that channel as as a way of of therapy because you know going through the program and being able to share and speak and it's helped me and I recognize it as being a very valuable tool in my arsenal because there's things completely out of my control that I'm not going to be able to guide her or she's not going to want to share with me about. And it has nothing to do with me. It's just her own fear and her own emotions that I have to respect. And that's a tough boundary to accept as a parent because all your life you're guiding them. Like, don't go here. Don't eat this. Don't drink that. Right? Because you're, you're trying to protect them. But then when it comes to a certain age, that doesn't work anymore. And they need to find their own path. Yeah. So. And Danny went through that also. Um, and that was the life changer for him. That's when I think I've shared with you a number of times that Alice and I had to go to a therapist to find out that we needed to love him as he was and let him go. And if he was going to fail, he was going to fail. If he was going to be left back, he was going to be left back. Uh, but we needed to love him and let him know he was loved and we had no expectation that he should do homework anymore. And he was free to, to go on his journey as he went on his journey. And he did that for about three months. And he was thrilled every day he came home from school. He didn't have to do anything. He could play video games and whatever else. And, and then one night he came out of his bedroom. We said, how you doing? And he burst into tears. And he said, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And that was 20 years ago. And, and he's now a highly successful, happy young man because he's chosen to get help and put to, put to use the help he's gotten. And, and it's effective. But he, when people say to me, you did a great job with Danny, I said, we didn't do anything. Danny did the work. All we did was provide him with the resource. We did what parents are supposed to do. We loved him with no expectations. Not easy for parents to do that. Yep. Tough stuff.
And I think that's what's also helped me with, you know, my recovery is having that, getting that same love and compassion and understanding from people that I've met in the rooms and, you know, not judging me, not giving me their opinions, but just listening, giving me their, their feedback, their, you know, their experience, strength and hope. Right. And, uh, and it's been great. It's been great. So I'm very, very grateful for, uh, having people like you, Mitch and you, Alex in my life. I think that's what also the power of getting what's out in my head out. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's something like going to the rooms and, and just sharing where I'm at and, and sharing about the things that I don't feel comfortable sharing about. I mean, now there's some stuff that I'm, I would only tell my sponsor. There's stuff that I would only tell another individual, like, I, you know, outside the rooms on a one-to-one conversation. And when I share, I share in a general way, experience, strength, and hope, you know, kind of as a guideline. But if I'm in a weird spot, I tell people I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a weird spot. And, and it's funny because, like, when my sponsor stopped coming, the first thing I did is I went to the rooms. That was my instinct is reach out to somebody. The first person I called was my sister. Then I started calling some other people. And then I went to the rooms. And then here's the craziest thing. When I got to the rooms, I didn't tell anybody what was going on. I shared that something's going on, but I never said, like, who it was or because I respected their anonymity, too. And I waited until people came up to me and started asking me, like, hey, what's going on with da 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 you know, but it, it's it's amazing how, um, you know, my instinct is just to run back to the rooms, you know, mm-hmm. and, and run to people in recovery because that's that's my safe spot. I'm not a normie anymore. I, I never was. I didn't like I don't fit into that world and, and I can I can make believe I fit in and I can go and hold down a job. I can go and have small talk conversations, go and hang out with people that aren't in the pro. But the real place that I feel comfortable, the real people I feel comfortable around are, are people like me. This Absolutely. So we're going to talk about family this week, right? Like yes, sisters. we are. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the plan. So, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me start. I'll start. Okay, you sure. start. I had a whole hang up. Like my my mom died when I was thirteen, and my sister was fifteen. My brother was eleven, and uh, my sister was at the age of like, and I'm not throwing her business out in the street, but she was a fifteen year old, right? Like sneaking out at night, trying cigarettes. You know, doing 15 year old stuff, you know, and we lived on an army base. So I'm sure that helped amplify some of the disciplinary concerns on my dad's side of things, because you get busted by the MPs on an army base. It's going to get back to people in power and people that you report to. And it's the military. There's no freedom in the military. Right. Um, So my when my mom died, it was like like my growth got stunted you know, when she died. Had she been stuff. sick or was it sudden? Yeah, cancer, breast yes. cancer. And it went into remission and then it came back. And um, the bottom line is it wasn't until like a, a podcast ago or something that Mitch, you were talking about how someone feels the way that they feel and and that's okay. And they're, who am I to tell them to feel any different? Because my entire life, like even recently, it's been like, why isn't she over that? Like I'm like I'm like I got a picture of my mom's like and I don't mean to sound heartless I love no, my mom like, to death but we're, we're I got a picture of my my cousin sent a picture of um my mom's tombstone and I remember looking at it and on my phone and this was like maybe two years ago and I got the picture at work in the middle of my day which was like a weird picture to get and I got in and I looked at it and immediately I started feeling like oh oh wow and then I stopped and I'm like I'm making myself feel sad do I really feel sad about this. Like, do I feel anything? Like, it's been so long. I'm, I'm kind of past. It's like, yeah, you know, I lost my mom at an early age. There's times I might miss her, but I was 13. I'm 42 now. You know, it's like 
I've got the memories. I am who I am. It is what it is. But she's not past that. And for a long time, up until like a week ago, I was like, why isn't she past that? Why aren't but you once, over that? Yeah. But no, once I heard Mitch say you, that, yeah. it just clicked in my head. And I was like, who the fuck are you, Alex? My sister's like that. The greatest gift I got in recovery, and I remember when I when I, when I was newly in recovery, and we, I was doing the eighth step, and I put my parents at the top of the list, and my sponsor said, "Take them off. Your sobriety will be your amends." And I said, "What does that mean?" He said, "Stay sober and find out." He said, "Your parents did what they did. You did what you did. Take them off the list." And it was by, when I was sober, maybe fifteen or sixteen years, they both became ill, albeit with different diseases. And I made my living amends by being available, unconditional, loving, patient, kind, generous, compassionate. All the things I never had been, there were no more resentments because I had healed the resentments inside me. And, and to this day, I don't miss them at all. Um, they did the best they could, but they didn't really provide me with any tools. And I'm not going to tell you, that's not all on their side because I was not the kind of person that was ready to accept any tools. So it was it was a negative relationship to begin with. But my sister, every day, she misses them. I mean, she used to she used to talk to my mother. I don't know every day of the week. They used to correspond three four times a week with letters, um, and she still misses them. I don't miss them at all. Not a day goes by that I miss them. I mean, Is she I'm, younger than you? Or older no, than she's you? older than me, three years. Um, I'm an incest survivor. My mother was my perpetrator. My father knew what was going on. Did nothing about it. I don't miss them. There's nothing they gave me. They put a roof over my head. They put food in my stomach, clothes on my back. Okay, but I paid for college. They didn't pay for college. How was your relationship with your sister when you, like, when you were in your teens? And Terrible. We were, and... I went to a, a Jewish private school. She went to public school. We had nothing to do with each other. I was, she was a 50s kid. I was a 60s kid. She was compliant. I was rebellious and defiant. Okay, she was highly critical of me. She it was like the three of them were one family, and I was the fourth person living in the house. Uh, I lived in the basement by by choice. Sure, that's how my sister felt. Okay, and and when I got sober, in my first year, my sister and I had a, a conversation. I mean, a real conversation. And she said, "I was always concerned you were going to commit suicide because I knew how unhappy you were and I knew how difficult your life was." She didn't know about the incest, but she knew just the general general criticism of me on a daily basis for something I wasn't doing right. And and I laughed when she said that, and I said, and she said, "I'm serious." I said, "I know you're serious." I said, "But I'm too self-centered to kill me. I had plans to kill the three of you. <laughs> I mean, I, I where I was going to buy poison, and I was. I mean, I had all sorts of plans to get rid of the three of you, but me." Not a chance I was going to kill me. I was, no, not, no way. But my family, there was nothing there. And family is for me and for many people over the years. And when I share about family, I always say family. You know, I sort of exaggerate the word. Those people that were supposed to love me and protect me and nurture me and care for me and encourage me and support me and champion me. I'm not sure who that family is, but it wasn't mine. And it wasn't my experience. And family is the toughest one to heal. Yeah, you've always said when it comes to family, all, all bets know, are off. All bets are off. Like, because throw they, away the steps, throw away the principles. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's family. Yeah. It's family. I mean, you can't, you can't heal something that you haven't yet identified as being that painful that you, you, you haven't grieved over it before you can. You have to grieve. I had to grieve over it before I could heal it. So I'm fortunate. You know, we, you talked before about therapy being a resource. 
I mean, how grateful I am that I found a therapist that dealt with incest recovery, and there was a workbook, and, and I saw him for two or three years so I could finally begin to, to get it out and be okay with it, and I shared it in the rooms. And every, well, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people came up to me after that meeting and said, thank you so much. Now, do you know if, and I don't know if you've ever found this out, but was your mom, do you know if she was... Molested? molested I, I have herself. no idea because my mother and I never discussed it. Yeah. My mother was an agonized woman, okay, who throughout her entire life, from the time, let's see, I was she was she was thirty two when I was born. So the time I was eight or nine years old, she would always walk around saying, "I want to kill myself. I want to kill myself. I want to kill myself." That was her answer to everything. I want to die. And when, as she aged, I just came to understand that she was a terribly, terribly pained woman. She knew what she had done. She knew what she had done. But could have been something that happened it, to her when she was a child. It, it could have that been. That started that pain. It, it could have been. In her mind, that was okay. And, and it could that have, happened to you. It could have right? been. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Some, not something we ever discussed. My sister doesn't know. I've never told her about it. Okay, my father never discussed it with me, but no. he never discussed anything with me. Right. You know, all he discussed was Yankee games and the box score and did the Yankees win or the Yankees lose, did Mickey Mantle hit a home run? Yeah, I mean, even when we went to a baseball game when I was 10, 11, 12, there was never any discussion of you're going to change. There was nothing, there was nothing about a boy growing into a man. Yeah. That was never there. So families, if, you know, you, I needed to learn to really be patient. And I had to heal. They didn't have to do anything. And that was the great game changer for me, that they didn't have to do anything. I had to heal it if I wanted to feel better. I had to let it go if I wanted to feel better. And I have. The, when you had said what you had said, and like everything that you're saying is so fitting because that's what motivated me to reach out to my sister. And I read that be all the text, but it was like... Um, it's like three pages. I was like, I don't... I'll, this, <laughs> that was a really the, nice letter. Actually. The gist of it was... It's really nice. I'll never understand what it's like to be you. You're, you know, if mom was alive, I know that you both would be talking like every day. And I know that she would be proud of you. And I know that she would think that you're the best mom in the world, even when you don't think that. Right. And I said, um, you're the only person in the family out of all of us that understands what it was like for mom to raise the three of us. Because my dad was out doing military stuff and she was a single mom staying at home with three kids each two years apart, so that's always crazy. Mm -hmm. That's you and and your siblings, right? That's exactly right, yeah. And so I'm like, so, I'm like, I just want you to say, I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you and I think you're amazing. And that's all I needed to say. And from that point, that was like, that was me finally like letting it go. Yeah, that was breakthrough. It's up to her. Seven years ago, you would have been pouring that letter into a bottle, right? And that would have gone on for years. I wouldn't even talk to her. I wouldn't even know she's going through all this stuff. You know what I mean? Family pain is a great cause for people to drink and get high and and gamble and and do all sorts of insane things. I think it's... I think that uh, that's also part of why right now she's more focused on talking to Steve. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She's talking. At least she's talking. That's correct. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, the way I, you've described it, you, you, you know, you're the little brother, right? I'm you, the middle. But the, the, the little in the sense of she's got, she's the mom, right? She's As got mom. She's got two brothers. When she, when your mom passed away, 
she ha- she took on that female role in the house, even though she was younger than you. My my dad that, expected her to take yeah. over the female. So in role a sense, even though she's younger than you, she's still the the matriarch of the of the Gannon family. Well, she's two years older than me. My so brother's two, two years younger. She's than two years me. older. But either way, the, yeah. your your message is exactly the same. Like she's being thrown into this matriarchal Correct. role when she's just trying to figure out who the hell she is and how she feels about this. And it was her fault that all this stuff might have happened. You know what I mean? Like she's going through all her shit, and then on top of that, my dad's like, "Why isn't the laundry done?" Well, that's what we talked about before. She was a girl. That's her job. Right. She's there to support the man. Okay, yeah. and and if and if girls were not okay with that, there was something wrong in that family. Yeah, the, the where I was going at is that there's a different dynamic between her and you versus her and your young, you know, yeah, your younger brother, obviously. So maybe she looks, you know, has you on a pedestal. You know, my younger brother, he's recently sober. Look at he's putting his life back together. Everything's oh, I hope great. she thinks like that. You're sitting that. there. She does. So she doesn't <laughs> want to necessarily open up her deep, no, dark of secrets and demons and the things that are crushing her because what's that going to do to you? She saw where you've come from and where you're at now, but yet Steve... Or yeah, I've been say, thinking about but, all this stuff too, you know? But him, he's out there and he's talking and he's drinking he's living. He's a normie. He's an normie, so she can he's talk to him about everything. Hey, you can tell me I'm a normie. So... <laughs> And that's something that I had to learn with with my siblings is is the same thing, you know. Is they had a lot more in common, and I was the youngest, right? My my brother was nine years older than me. My sister's ten years older than me, and they had their own dynamic, you know, relationship. Both as a family, as active addicts, as you know, just all the things they did. Um, and I always felt as an outsider and wondered why, you know, they had a better relationship than I did. Um, but now, you know, I, now I understand it. It was just, it's, they were going through things that they could relate with that I couldn't. And, well, at the time I couldn't, now I can, right? But at the time when I was 12 years old and my brother's in prison or my sister's, you know, having an affair with a married man and, you know, my mom shielded me from, from them and, and had, and raised me in this bubble, in this religious bubble that, I didn't really get to experience a relationship with them. You know, once I became an adult, I wanted to know what it was like to have a brother and have a sister. And I, and I chased that like all my life. I even remember how many times I went and visited my brother. And one time I bailed him out of jail. One time I was literally going to visit him. I was living in Wisconsin at the time, just lived there for a short year. And I just drove down to Chicago to visit him. And I was walking into his apartment, and his apartment was all the way at the end of the hallway. And as I walk up into the stairs, I see two undercovered officers and a police officer knocking on his door. And I, and I just went to the first door, like, and I knocked on it. I'm like, I hope nobody comes out. Because I was not going down to that hallway. I knocked on the door, no one answered, and I quickly wow. left. And those those experiences, and, and, and another time where he got evicted, and he had all his stuff in a U-Haul truck... And he was living out of the U-Haul for three days, and he finally got so drunk or high that he flatlined, and the EMT had to come get him. I mean, those type of stories. And I saw it, and I, you know, went, and I would look for him, and I always loved him um, with no, you know, no prior feelings. Even though my mom always kind of kept us apart because she she thought he was going to be a bad influence on me, not the rest of the millions of people around the city of Chicago, but that him and him alone would guide me in the wrong direction. But I, I loved him with no, you know, no judgment, always sought him. And towards the end, when he finally, you know, just said, you know, he, he actually got sober. He had, uh, 
eight years of sobriety back in Chicago. Yeah. He started a home group that still is in existence today. Um, his sponsor, um, Jim Jim Lee, has like 38 years of sobriety, and his great-grand sponsor was like Bill Wilson. I mean, there, there's so much recovery that he was exposed to, and he was raised in a hardcore, you know, AA tradition, and he loved it. And because growing up in Chicago, um, he was in the Latin Kings, and he, you know, felt that camaraderie because when my mom immigrated from Peru, she was only able to bring, she had to choose one of the kids and she brought her, my sister. Um, so she left my brother to be raised by his two aunts. Um, one of the aunts was a very kind and loving aunt. And the other aunt was like an evil aunt. And I'll share a brief story of silence with the cats and a little bit about him. But, um, so he came to America and he was an immigrant, you know, Peruvian kid. And he had to, adjust he had to fit in so in the city of chicago it was very um segmented you were either with the whites the spanish or the blacks and he had to choose the spanish people and ultimately it was the latin kings that provided him safety because he was getting beat up by the white kids and so starts the story so where i'm going with all of this is towards the you know when he got sober then he moved to he moved on to florida he started drinking again using again and i had i thought i was a reason that he relapsed. You know, I, I took so much ownership of that. Oh, I should have left you in Chicago. I brought you down to work with me. I'm the reason. And he told me one day flat out, he's like, dude, I relapsed back in Chicago right before I came down. I had made a decision that I was done with AA, that I wanted to start drinking and using again. I thought I had, I was able to do it again. Wow. So right before the very end of when he passed away, um, a few months before that, I had built a huge resentment because he had gone to jail. He had come out. He promised he was, he was ready to go. He was going to do it again. He found the NA for two years, and he just made a decision that he didn't want to – he just wanted to keep using. And, and I was very upset with him. I stopped talking to him for a period of time, and then I finally, um, through you know, working with Mitch, talking to Mitch – raising my hand, listening to what other people's experience was, I finally realized that it was better for me to accept him as my brother and at least have some kind of a relationship with him than to just ostracize him the way everybody else has done in the world and just keep my distance. And fortunately, towards you know the last few months of him being alive before he overdosed was you know us him coming to watch my daughter play volleyball, us going to watch a basketball game at a bar, um, and just being able to, you know, spend that time with him for me was huge, but, you know, growing up and, and having that dynamic. So for me, you know, I, I work in a call center based environment, so it's all about management and teamwork and leadership. And, you know, a lot of the reps are, you know, are the first to say, yeah, we're like a family. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're a team because <laughs> families can be dysfunctional as is mine. So let's, let's, let's keep it a team, not a family, but it's, it's definitely, I, I think, what you said, Mitch, earlier was was dead on because it, it's the root to a lot of, at least it was to mine, and I hear it in a lot of people's stories, the, the beginning of, of their insanity and, and their their pain and their struggle and the way they sought treatment for it was through self-medication. It, it wasn't therapy in the 70s and 60s and 80s. and Even today, it's not something that's promoted heavily, right? Unless you have a tragic event like what happened in Parkland where you have... On school counselor, but that doesn't stuff. exist. You go to Pompano, you go to high schools in Miami. They don't have grief counselors. They have people getting killed in Miami every day, every weekend. There's teenagers shot. They don't. And you don't shit. hear about it. You don't hear about it. So, 
Anyways. No, but, but it's it's interesting because it's I I always start out believing that I was born with a hole in my soul. So there was nothing my parents could ever do to make that right. There was just an emptiness that I had as a child. No matter when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. The difference between then and now was then everybody said he'll grow out of it. Uh -huh. Okay, and I didn't grow out of it. They didn't know what to do with it. All right, so they just ignored it. And if they were going to ignore it and they were going to be critical of it, then guess what? I I'd become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I would do negative things to get you to pay attention because the positive things didn't work. Because the positive things were normal, so you're supposed to do those things. You don't get praised. You know, it's like when people who go to work and say, I'm working hard. Good for you. So are we all. Now, get back to work. Okay? You, you know, I'm not going to give you a bonus because you're working hard this week. Uh, well, maybe in your case I would, Alex. But uh, <laughs> but, but it, was, it, it was really coming to terms with there was nothing they could do for me. They couldn't make it better. They did make it worse, but they couldn't make it better. They could send me to a therapist, but I had no capacity to talk about myself. At that age, I had no capacity to, talk, to open up and answer a question. I was one of those kids, and we talked about this last week or the week before, where when somebody said, why would you do that? And I said, I don't know. I really didn't know. It wasn't that I was avoiding the question. Sounds like the answer my kids tell me. Okay, but there's a truth, but I had to come to terms with Danny with that. When he yeah. said he didn't know why he did it, I learned subsequently that because of his ADHD, he did not know why he did something. Or just the fact that they're 12. That they're 12 <laughs> and they don't like have a clue. Came why up with this blueprint to like, you know. They're 12 years old. grand scheme of and, things. And they don't know. Yeah. They just, they had an impulse. They had a thought. They did it. Why they did it, I don't know. And they really don't know. And I really didn't know. Okay, And it was one of the most valuable parts of my becoming a parent that I was able to learn, based on my recovery, to accept him just as he is, when I liked what he did and when I didn't like what he did. And it was okay for him to tell me that I had made a mistake. It was okay for him to tell me he was angry. Okay, because And I was okay for me to apologize and tell him I, I made a mistake. It was also okay for me to say as a parent, I may have made a mistake, but I'll make, same, make, make the same mistake a hundred times more because I'm your parent and I'm going to do what I believe is best for you. And sometime when you're 35, if you choose to, you can sit on a couch and say I'm an asshole and you can blame your whole terrible life on me or you can take responsibility for it, know that I'm going to make mistakes and somewhere down the road be okay with the fact that I was not perfect. I say because I'm okay with being imperfect as a parent. And he chose the latter and he's a highly successful happy young man um, you know taking what you just described of how that dynamic and if you just apply that even if you don't have kids or not a parent just apply that to people you work with that's people correct you know everybody's doing the best they can and i don't know that what's is. going on that i don't know what's going on you said that earlier and in our you mind know? like last week you shared when you were saying goodbye to that person and they were like bye and they just walked by and the first thing you're thinking is what did i do what is yeah and I what's was... wrong with me <laughs> yeah but what you said it's... about your sister earlier that you will never know what it's like to be her because you're not her no not yeah. at all okay and, I, and the the i think that's I don't know. When, like when I was drinking a lot, that was that was one of the motivating factors to drink was just because of like my dad, my life, you know. And then I'd lie to myself because I don't know any better because all I'm doing is drinking. That this is just how it's gonna be, and this is just who what I'm destined to be. I'm just destined to live on a couch and drink all day, and you know, I'll go to the bar and poor just, me, poor me. This is all me, yeah. you know. But at, once I got a little bit of sobriety in my life and started like 
realizing like, no, this isn't really what I, you know, simple things like, hey, food tastes good. You know, like I'll start eating regularly. Bathing, ta- bathing is awesome. You know, and, and I start doing those little baby steps. Eventually I get, you know, and it takes, it takes time, but eventually I get to the point where I'm like, you know what? The fact that my dad calls me and all we ever do is talk about movies and TV shows it's is great. awesome. It's great. It's great. You know, we don't have the relationship that I call him up and I'm like, hey, dad, I'm, I'm really having a hard day, you know? And he'd be like, well, what's going on? You know, like he doesn't, there's no solution. There's, when you were talking about like how your dad never really communicated with you, there's a great scene in the, uh, in the TV show Rescue Me. It's like one of the first episodes where um, he calls his dad, the, the main guy calls his dad, and his dad's like, well, the Red Sox are shit in the bed again. And underneath this, uh, the, the TV is a closed caption, and it's like, I love you, son. I've been thinking about you. <laughs> you know, and that's like the code, you know? So, like, I call my dad, and he's like, oh, I've been watching this new show. Hey, Alex, I love you. I just that's... hope you're doing great. And, you that's... know, my dad, as much as I can get down on it and be like, oh, he doesn't, you know, open up and da-da-da. Well, you know, he does. He I calls just... you, and he talks to you about the things that are important to and... him. And he'll come to my, he came to my anniversary meeting. That's he'll come to a meeting every now and then when he's down here visiting. It's right. like, look, you know, but the relationship I have with my sister, whether it's right now or whether it's six months or whether it's four years ago, is the exact relationship I'm supposed to have with her at this time. And at the end of the day, the only person getting wound up about it is me. Yeah. Interesting that you say that, Alex. My sister lives in Tampa. She's married. She has two kids. One has nothing to do with her and the other one is marginal. Um, she called me a couple years ago and was very upset that we don't have a relationship. I said, you're 73, I'm 70. I said, I don't have any interest or energy to build something with you that we've never had. I said, the fact that we even talk to each other I find to be miraculous. We made I made a commitment that I would work at it. But that only lasted so long uh, before I just realized it's just not important enough for me to do that. And I don't know if you ever experienced family triggers at times where you thought you were done with something and something happens and it comes back in an instant. Okay? Like yesterday, you mean? Well, there you go, okay? <laughs> well, this past week, we, we, she was complaining about not hearing from me, and we were playing telephone tag, and finally we connected. When my parents were alive and I would call them, I'd be in the middle of a sentence, and they would say, well, it was good talking to you. Time to go now. Bye. (laughs) And I I hated that, but I just accepted that was them. My sister and I are in the middle of a conversation. I'm sharing whatever I'm sharing, and all of a sudden I hear, well, I missed three phone calls while we're on the phone right now, so I have to go now. Bye. And I said goodbye, and I got off the phone, and I said, fuck you. I have to edit that later. Just okay, well, that's up to Alex. Okay, it's not about <laughs> Alex. That one in. I'm My sister's not going to be on the iPad. No, bitch is going to call you later. Can you edit the okay. uh, sister? No, but, but I really, I, it, was, it just brought back my parents in a heartbeat. I get it. And there was that feeling of the three of them the and me. But here's the thing. It's like, okay. and, and this is what I'm getting out of what you're saying. It's like, here I am doing something that I don't really feel like doing anyway. And you want me and to I'm, do. And, you, and I'm doing it for you. I'm not really doing it for me. And then you're going to end up getting what you get out of it anyway because you hit your brain. You're like, my tank is full. Bye. But it's once, like, once why again, am I, doing it? I keep knocking on the family door expecting to get a friendly response, and I don't. So shame on me for thinking that I could. 
Yeah. Not and shame that's, on her. She's no, doing that's, exactly what she's supposed to be doing. That's what's important to her. It's like my sister for 32 years has never, I call her every year on October 6th and say it's another year in the bank. And she says, about what? And I say, my sobriety. Oh, that's nice. Hmm. And I want to scream at her. But I can't. Well, I can, but it's not going to do it's any good. It's not going to do any good. Because next year she'll say the same thing. She takes no interest in the fact that I'm a sober man. She takes no interest in the successful careers I've had. She takes no interest in anything I do. She always says to me, my friends want to know, what do you do for a living? And I'll enumerate a number of things that I do. Next time I talk, she says, my friends want to know, what do you do for a living? I'm an astronaut. Thank thanks. Uh, you know what? <laughs> that would probably go, oh, that's nice to hear. And she would continue with the conversation. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? Okay. I said, I'm, I'm a transgendered astronaut. You know, it's, um, it's very painful, though. It's, you know, we laugh in some ways, but it's not funny. That to her, those, and, and it's not like she, when I got on the phone, she said, listen, I'm expecting a really important call from my doctor, so I right. may have to cut the call short. I, I understand that. But to say I missed three calls and I need to go now? Yeah. How unimportant do I feel in her life? But at the and and again, that's like in the like in the book, it talks about stepping on the toes of others and getting hurt, you know. And in the very beginning, it's like yes, I mean that's literally like I'm doing, you know. But that's when you tell me that story, that's that's doing that that's because family. at the end of the day, exactly. Because here I am doing something that I'm feeling obligated to because my sibling is asking me to do this. So I say, you know what, I'll do it. I'll reach, and then you find out that it's not that important. It's that. just how they were feeling. Like my sister would send me text messages. I miss you. I wish you could really come up this weekend. That'd be awesome. And I asked her not to do it because I don't like the way it makes me feel because I'm not going to drop everything and go up there just to just to see her for 24 hours and come home. And the whole time I'm up there, it's like there's a, just a weird feeling of like all this extra shit going on. And it's just I, I just emotionally it just it makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel really shitty and guilty that I don't go up there and see them more. So I'm like, please don't do it. I get it. And then uh, next week, a couple days later, I miss you. I wish you could come up and see me. No, oh, your sister said that to me. She you said, know? I haven't seen you since uh, Cousin Ellen's uh, daughter's wedding, and that's five years ago. And I said, that's true. And she said, well, when are you going to come to visit? I said, when are you going to come to visit? Well, that's what I mean. She comes down here to, to every now and that's then. She'll correct. come down with the thing, and, and I'm like, hey, you should come by and see me. And it's like yeah, nothing. But then correct. it's like, oh, you should drop everything and come that's, and see me on my time. Right. You know, and then, but family, that's family. Family, family. <laughs> it's like a song. And you want to have one of these? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's funny because I had all these things. You know, we talked about we're gonna, you know, this week, and we're gonna talk about family. And I had all these topics and subjects, you know, that I wanted to talk about today. And then this morning, I woke up and I, it, I had like an epiphany where it was like, you know, maybe the family theme is is where am I at with my family? Not right. so much all the the wreckage in the past and it's like all right i have different stages of family right so i have the family stage of when i was little and i can write a book about that and when i was a teenager and my parents my brother and my sister but i've got my own family now and, and i have to apply myself in order to live in that moment where i don't want to repeat all the things that i did in the past yeah do and you I find yourself doing that like do you find yourself doing things that like uh like you doing things to your kids that happened to you when you were growing up? Yes, I without do. Without realizing it until yeah. you catch it? Yeah, I do. And it's it's definitely something that, um, especially with, with my my daughter, I, I, I catch myself really having to 
to identify and, and share and, and, and talk about, you know, what I'm going through, what I'm feeling. Because, you know, back in the day, it was always you did something wrong and there was an immediate punishment for it. Yeah. Right. There's got to be consequences. consequences. There's consequences to your actions. And that doesn't work on a 16-year-old. You know, the consequences, they're like, it's it's a different day and age now. You, first of all, they can look up anything you tell them, right? So right. You, so you they fact say, check your if ass. If you do this, this will happen. They're like, no, it's not that. I just Googled it and YouTube, and you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> so your fact checking is You all. know, if you continue to do this, you're going to have a, a you know, you're, you're going to grow up and not be Let successful. Let me tell you something, Abiel. I'm not blind yet. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Neither am I, thank God. But the fact of the matter is it's so it's now it's you we can't tell them the folk tales anymore. No. Because they'll point out every example of this guy dropped out of high school and he owns that he started he owns Apple. <laughs> okay, but that doesn't matter. you know, you it just so it, it's it's definitely a different day and age and, and what I'm realizing now is that I, I have to apply and when it comes back to me making sure, you know, I've got my my anger in check, my insecurities in check, and prioritizing them is, is where I'm at. So, you know, my family discussions, I mean, I, I've, I've really reached a point, and it's been a hard couple years, you guys know. Obviously, I lost my brother through an overdose. I lost my dad nine months later. And, um, and last year was a really tough year for me, and it was – I didn't really uh, – do as much with my kids as I wanted to. I mean, we took our vacations, and those mm-hmm. times that we did take were, were wonderful, especially this last November when we went to Jamaica, and I took the kids, and it was just a, an amazing experience. And, you know, going into this year where we've made some plans, we haven't, you know, finalized anything, but it's, I, I hate to say it, it, it really is day by day for me sometimes. Yeah. It's just, you know, as much as I want to, in the summer, we're going to, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier to plan a vacation than it is to plan where I'm going to be emotionally as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, as a son yes. to my mom. That's why Hawaii like, is such a popular week. destination. Because <laughs> people can be like, oh, I feel really <laughs> shitty about myself. You know what? We're going to Hawaii. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the best. You know, and but nobody will sit there and be like, you know what? We're going to spend an hour at breakfast and I'm really going to tell you how I'm feeling, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But I wanted to make a comment, Alex, when, when you said before, somewhat comically, and you really want to have a family, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> the difference between then and now for me is, and I watch what you and Natalie do with the kids, is, is that your kids are getting a man willing to take a look at himself, to work on himself, to change, to admit mistakes, to ask for help, uh, to tell them I don't know. Uh, to say I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, had we had that as kids growing up, not that we would have ended, would not have ended up sitting here right now, but we would have ended up sitting here right now with different stories. Um, yeah, your kids are the beneficiaries of your recovery. They're the beneficiaries of you and Natalie as a couple working on your marriage. So they have a model to look at and see how people can communicate, how you can be angry on Tuesday and be loving on Wednesday, how you can work on that to let it go and it happens, it happens, but then it's over. Uh, and that's a tremendous benefit to them. And you providing therapy to Sonia. And if Abelito ever needs it, he'll get it as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I told you, uh, it was a couple months ago, I had, we have a really close friend of ours. They're going through some really tough times just in, you know, within themselves and... I shared with him about it one day, and 
The next morning, he's at a guidance counselor on his own, went to speak to a guidance counselor, a, a, you know, uh, I don't know if it was a guidance counselor or support counselor, and just started sharing. And the first thing I'm like, Abelito, don't you understand that they might be thinking that that's happening in our house and you're just saying it's a friend of yours that you're concerned <laughs> about? We're going to have DCF knocking on our door tomorrow morning, right? And I'm like, oh, God, instead of just praising it. And I ended up did, you know, later on that day, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm really glad what you did. But it, it, at first it was like, how could you do that? How you're you, breaking the sanctity breaking the of our home. Exactly. And, 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 and more so of, you know, concern. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, he's at 12 years old making a conscious decision. And he's concerned. Not a, And it's not even anything about our house. It's another friend of the family that lives out of state. Sure it is. That he's sharing. I got about. a friend of mine that's got a drinking problem. <laughs> then I said, I got a friend in Chicago. <laughs> you know, then they're going through. It's some... You know, um. Yeah. assault and just really right, a bad right. situation so i'm like they're gonna think it's us it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be like a knock at the door like, yes that's, and uh it, it's it funny. ended up being a really good session for him we didn't hear back from the school i didn't have dcf at my door the next day <laughs> or the next week or the next month but later that evening i said listen i'm really proud of what you did you know if you do ever feel that way not just about someone externally but about something that you think mom and i are, are doing that you can't share with us then that's what those channels are for you know, you, you have to protect yourself, and there's certain things even mom and dad aren't allowed to do to you. And I just left it at that. The so. guidance counselor is probably sitting there like, oh, my God, it's happening. <laughs> this is it. It's happening. I'm not just telling another kid that he's going to fail. Yeah. That's awesome. It yeah. is awesome. I Do you find that, and kind of wrapping up with a quick answer here, but yeah. do you find that, like, I found, like, keeping my side of the street clean, like, is if I simply live like that, I find my relationships with everybody else is, is pretty okay. Do you, is that kind of something that you're finding raising children? Is that your focus more on like just keeping your side of the street clean? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I find that the, you know, and my side is obviously my, my mental state, my right. emotional state, and, and 100%. Because when I start going down the other path, things happen around me that, What's the other on. path? Like thinking what they're thinking and no, just my deep, dark thoughts that I can't share on, on the airwaves okay. right now. Well, no, but the kind Whether of it's... thoughts where when they say something, you overreact because you're in a space of overreaction to yourself. Gotcha. Of course, okay? or I'm as in opposed shame, to patience, shame or guilt. Less, yeah, yeah, the less patient absolutely. I am with me, the less okay I am with me. The less okay I'm going to be with anything you say or do. Uh, and the kids don't understand uh, that when that reaction comes out, they're going to look at them and say, "What, what just was happened?" That all about? Yeah, what was that all about? All I did was say, I, I'm having trouble with math. Right. Can you please help me? What do you mean, help you? Can't you do anything? Try harder, you know. Exactly. Like, was he, he's, he's out of his mind, okay? And at that time, he is out of his mind, or I am out of my mind. Okay, you're yeah. never out of your mind. I have a cat. I, it's... <laughs> he sucks at math, too. <laughs> well, I'll, I could be a cat. So, uh, since we're closing and we're on cats, I'll, I'll share yeah, the, give uh, the, the silence silence story. Of the, of the silence of the kittens. So... And, and again, and I have, you know, since we're talking about family and, and I know there's, you know, there's things about my past that I've shared with Mitch that I think were a big contributor to my, my addictions or sorry, that I self-medicated because of things that happened to my past, right? I chose to, to use drugs and alcohol in order to, to treat my, those feelings. But my brother, when he was growing up in Peru, so my mom left them at the age of one and she came to America to try to make, you know, get herself financially in a position 
where she could bring him, but he was raised for the first seven or eight years of his life by the two aunts, right? The loving right. aunt and, like, the evil aunt. And I have an evil aunt, like, literally she, like, you know, witch, uh, black magic type shit, you know, in, Peru, in the mountains of Peru type evil stuff. So doesn't believe in God is a whole different uh, character. So anyways, one day he brings home these kittens that he found in the street. So his loving aunt was like, oh, wow, you know, let's give them names. And it was like four or five kittens, and it was great. And he woke up the next morning, and he found the five kittens strung up, hung by their neck, like dead. That, and the evil aunt that didn't want to have the kittens killed them all, hung them, strung them up, and put them in his room as a lesson to ask permission before he brings home cats. And that uh, traumatized the shit out of him. Fuck yeah. You think? That's 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 one example of the good and the evil, right? So that he had this loving, I love you, everything that he had this evil aunt that would just constantly, you know, just despised him. And when he shared those things and he he'd say sometimes I'd have nightmares and I'd wake up and I'd see the kittens and it was like the silence of the awesome. kittens, you know, of some of his trauma that he went through. So here he is, he's seven years old, eight years old, my mom now marries my dad. And he's like, yes, I'll, I will love you, and let's bring your son. And because my, my dad married my mom and financially helped my mom bring, you know, bring my brother from Chicago, he's thinking, through his loving aunt, he's thinking that he's going to come to America and live the American dream, right? So he comes to America, and he's put into this household where, at the time, my mom's a devout Jehovah's Witness, so now he's got to go to church and follow these rules. He can't do the American things of going out playing baseball and doing what everybody else wants. He's got this new stepdad that, who loved him. It was great, but it was still foreign to him. And then he gets, my, my mom lived in this night, you know, we had, they had a little small apartment in this nice area of Chicago that was primarily Caucasian. And now he's getting bullied and beat up by white kids at the school because he doesn't know the language and he doesn't dress right and he doesn't have the right hair. And he's describing how those years of his life, the seven, eight, you know, fifth, fourth through sixth, seventh, eighth grade were like a terror for him. Um, and he really wasn't able to, you know, get that love and that nurturing from my mom the way he got from his good aunt that he remembered. Because my mom was busy working 50, 60 hours a week trying to, you know, raise right. him and then going to church and all the other things. And then I came along, you know a year or two later after he moves here now he there's was a little golden baby. child yeah and i remember when i was a little and i'll close with this he had built this he was really into like battleships and like the, the and he had spent months building this whole like a battleship carrier and these ships and like it was a whole war scene yeah and, and i came in like baby godzilla and <laughs> <years laughs> just, 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 just started sitting on shit and breaking things and i was like and oh, I remember him man. getting so mad. That's one of my first memories as a little kid of my brother just raging and, you know, not being able to do anything to me, but just so upset that I destroyed, you know, his, what, what he oh, worked so, so much hard there. on. Right? You're, you're fortunate he had impulse control. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not being facetious. No, you're right. Because I work, I've worked with families where one child will haul off and they don't care how old you are, how small you are or whatever. They'll haul off and beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Okay, for something that they you did or they think you did. Yeah. So the fact that Caesar had that impulse control, he loved you. So when he was, you know, in eighth grade getting beat up by the Irish white kids in the neighborhood, you know, and coming home, he didn't really, you know, my dad was would work the, the night shift, so he'd work from 2 to 11. So my mom was working until 4 or 5, and he didn't really have that support 
of who do I talk to? Who can I tell? Is there a guidance counselor? It was, you know, literally bullied. So his sanctuary was the Latin Kings. Yeah, of course. They, they took him in and he became a gang member. And then he had part of his initiation was to rob a McDonald's. And now yes. he gets busted. And now he goes to prison for armed robbery. And so that whole story continues. Meanwhile, you know, if at the time he comes to this country, right, 2019, there's some disconnects and therapies introduced and guidance counselors at schools are a common thing. I mean, a lot of this stuff could have been prevented. Could have been. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting when you say the Irish kids because the Jewish kids wouldn't fight. They would, <laughs> they would hire the Irish kids to fight because Jewish kids weren't allowed to get dirty. Yeah. Okay. They had to come home clean the way their mother dressed them in the morning. And, and I'm not saying that it would have... It's the by no means am I saying it's the cause of his addiction. No, but dude, there's a I, lot think, of shit there. Like the way I'm still hung up on the good ant and the evil ant. You know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff but, there. But that... maybe he needed some medication. Maybe he needed, you know, maybe he medication, needed... therapy, love. Absolutely, uh, uh, the whole package. We all would have given him a better chance to still be alive today. We all yeah, needed. I more, agree. We all needed more than what we got. Yes. And the people who provided it would provided the best they could. And what I've taken away from that is I'm not blaming my mom and dad for not giving me that. I used to. I you know, I used that. to blame my mom yeah. for a lot of things oh, yeah. for not recognizing a lot of things and that's a whole other discussion. But when I you know, through the program, through the steps, when I was able to finally accept that, she did the best she can. Yeah, she, right. my mom was a maid with a four she she dropped out of school at fourth grade to work as a maid in Peru, met Got knocked up by the wealthy family's son, who's my sister's dad. They kicked her out. Went to work at another wealthy family's. Got knocked up by that son. That's my brother's dad. Right. Got fired. Got fired by that family. Got fired by that family. And you know, and that's her upbringing. So who, who am I to blame? She was able to come to this country and work her ass off and give me the best life I was able to. You know, give me the best opportunity to succeed. I can't blame her for, for things that I decided to do on my own. You know what? We, we can blame, but at some point, there's no benefit anymore. Well, at the end of the Nothing day... Nothing changes. If I, I blame if I blame all day long, I'm the one that feels worse. I blame until I do my step four, and then I'm like, all Thank right, you very you know, much. what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's a truth to that. There is. There's a yeah. truth to that. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not angry at my sister on a daily basis. Uh, it's just, she is who she is. She is the way she is. She asked me one day, well, when she dies, will I be there with my niece to stand with my niece? I said, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't have to, well, no. It's, come on. Yeah. When you die, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. But I'm not going to be there a whole lot while you're alive because there's no upside for me. I don't, talking to you is my best upside, not seeing you. Because yeah. clearly you have no interest in anything that's going on in my world. There just comes a point where, for me anywhere, I still have feelings. Like, I'm a human being, right? Like, so I'll still have a pop in, like, uh, from a, a feeling that makes me feel uncomfortable or not happy or, you know, I might sit there and I actually get to the point where I get so wound up sometimes that I'm talking to myself in my car, like, saying the response. <laughs> I'm at least at the point now in my life where I'm, like, looking in the mirror and I'm like, what are you doing, Alex? Just, you know. Before we close, first of all, I want to say thank you to both of you for the opportunity. But also, do we want to have a woman on next week? Uh, sure. Yep. I'm going to ask I'll, some people. Okay, are you? Yeah, okay. I can ask some people. I mean, you can ask some people if you want. We'll no, I don't. Uh, yeah, then you'll have a busload of women showing yeah. up. Well, that's, okay. that's not necessarily a bad thing, Mitch. Okay, well, careful, Alex. Okay, women, <laughs> women are going to listen to this and beat the shit out of you for your sex. Any woman that knows me okay. knows that it's absolutely safe. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, no, yeah, I don't mind. I mean, it, no, if you're going to ask, that's fine. No, we don't all need to ask. So, so. Well, I'll ask a couple people and see if they can. And if they can't, then I'll let you know. Let I, me know. I haven't been okay. able to find anybody. So next week's theme will be men are from well, it could Earth, be. women are from Mars. Yeah, women, <laughs> women from Venus, men from Mars. But it could also be about family relationships and about relationships in general in recovery and, and how we get along and the differences. But it probably be a very lively conversation. Sure. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, too. Have You're a blessed week. You're in town next week? Yeah, I get back Friday night. Oh, next week I won't be here. Jimmy, so that's fine, because we can have somebody take your spot. That's correct. Okay, Jimmy's Perfect. celebrating well, 40. spot. No one can take the spot. spot. Taking no, the spot. Jimmy, the Jimmy, Jimmy L. is celebrating 40 years. Oh, nice. And uh, he's a dear friend of mine, so I want to be at his anniversary meeting. It's at 10 o'clock at Good Morning God, and uh, that's where I'll be. So I wish you guys Godspeed and have a great meeting next week. Have a great week, guys. All right. You too. Thank you.